Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 a north carolina man was once convicted in court for disrupting church services with his horrible singing that's a true story that's a true story in 1873 William Lincoln was hauled into county court in Robeson, North Carolina by fellow Methodists who charged that his singing had disrupted church services week after week. Among his offenses to the ear, they said, was the fact that Lincoln kept singing long after the rest of the congregation had stopped. Things got so bad that finally the minister refused to go on singing. Asked to remain silent? Lincoln refused, protesting that church singing was part of his duty to God. Lincoln was found guilty of a misdemeanor and ordered to keep quiet in church. Instead, he appealed to the state Supreme Court, which overturned the conviction. The court ruled that even if Lincoln's singing was as awful as charged, the state had no business disciplining him. What caught my attention about that story, and it is a true story, I checked into it, uh, what caught my attention about that story was the fact that he said church singing was part of his duty to God. We often look at the Reformation the, that Martin Luther led as, as Martin Luther spearheading a movement that would go back to the authority of God's Word and the infallibility and inerrancy of God's Word. He was the one that spearheaded that. An entire movement had taken place, but what people don't know about Martin Luther was he was a prolific songwriter. That in the midst of all of his writings concerning the Word of God, he, read, he, he wrote many, many, many songs. And I believe that his prolific songwriting was directly linked to his understanding that congregational singing was commanded in Scripture. And that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to show you that we are actually commanded to sing. Now last week we talked about the fact that we were created to sing, that we're wired that way, that God intentionally designed us to sing. Next week, we're going to be talking about compelled to sing, where because of what God has done in us through Christ and for us through Christ, that we are compelled to sing. But this morning, I want to talk about being commanded to sing, and there's no better 
psalm to turn in turn to than psalm 100 because psalm 100 even though it's only five verses long it carries with it seven imperatives in the hebrew now the imperatives are commands they're not suggestions even though our english will sometimes lead us to believe that they're maybe suggestions or they're invitations but they're not so much they are commands And I've basically divided it because it naturally divides into two. I've divided my two points there in singing in the presence of God and then singing in the palace of God. Verses 3 to 4, singing in the presence of God. Verses 5 through 6, or 4 through 6, 4 through 5, I'm sorry, is singing in the palace of God. And I'll explain that when I get to that in a moment. But first I want to discuss singing in the presence of God, which is what I believe this opens with. We shout to the Lord when we sing according to the scriptures here. When we're singing to the Lord, we're shouting to the Lord. In verse 1 it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Now what's interesting to me is that that phrase, uh, make a joyful noise, is translated from the Hebrew, heraiu, heraiu. It's one word which literally is translated shouted, shout, shout. So make a joyful noise, I understand the translation. Some will translate it, shout to the Lord, like we sang this morning. So, so some may translate it, shout. But what the ESV is trying to do is in the context of singing, make a joyful noise because that's what it's speaking about. It's speaking about singing in the assembly. But what fascinated me is the connection that this word shout has to do with kingship. That word heraiu in the Hebrew was often used of when a king was in the presence of the people. The people would shout for joy at their king. In fact, we see it in another psalm. In Psalm chapter 98, verses 4 to 6, this word shows up again. Uh, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, or shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. That's not a person who lies. That's actually a stringed instrument. And the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Hey, Raiu. Both, were, both uh, verse 4 and verse 6 use that same word. Hey, Raiu. Make a joyful noise. Shout. It was connected to a king. It was connected to a king when the king would be in the presence of the people because they had respect for their king and they had a joy that they could be in the presence of the king. They would shout. That's why I love the lyrics of even the song you sung this morning. I didn't, uh, you know, Monica chose that song really before she probably knew the text I was preaching on. She had texted the songs, but listen to this and shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Let us sing. Power and majesty praise to the king. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hand. Forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. So we shout to the Lord when the psalmist opens up with singing. But we not just shout to the Lord in our singing. We serve the Lord. In our singing, look how he continues on the first part of verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, let me say this. 
in the context of serving the Lord here, it's talking about singing. It's talking about singing. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of serving the Lord. Maybe it's going on a missions trip. Maybe, you know, when it, serving the Lord comes to your mind, you're thinking of serving as an usher or serving in children's church or serving at kitchen with a mission, serving the poor people that need it. But how many of you have ever thought that your singing is serving the Lord? See, this is why I'm talking about this congregational singing is so important and we take it so lightly sometimes. But if you want to serve the Lord, begin in the sanctuary when you come in on a Sunday morning. Don't just stroll in at, at you know, the time of the sermon, but say, I'm going to serve the Lord in my singing. Now, I realize some of you may sound like you're serving Satan in your singing, but, but it's not true. No matter how you could sing like Linkaw, <laughs> and it's serving the Lord. It's serving the Lord. We serve the Lord in our singing. Sometimes I don't feel like singing. Sometimes I get to church and because of the nature of the week, it was a downer. You know, maybe we lost somebody in our congregation. Somebody was going through the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. They're weeping tears and you're ministering all week long and you get to church and it's like, where's the song in my heart? But I begin to sing because I know it's so crucial to the Lord. Like Hebrews 13 says in verse 15, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. And singing includes that. Includes that. So maybe you come to church and you say, ah, songs are, no, no. Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Make it mean something. Be sacrificial in our singing, just like our giving. Well, we not only shout to the Lord, we not only serve the Lord, but we are actually summoned to the Lord in our singing. Summoned to the Lord. Now look at verse, the end of verse 2. Come into his presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. That is not, and in spite of what our English would lead us to read as an invitation, that's not an invitation. That's an imperative. That is a command. The Lord as king is summoning us to come into his presence to sing. That, that is important to understand because we know that in that day, in that day when, when somebody was summoned by a king, they had no choice. They had no choice. You either answer the king's summons or maybe there's a beheading down the road for you. But all of you in our day are, are familiar with the subpoena that, that some of you may have been subpoenaed to court. You've, you received it in the mail and you're subpoenaed and it is mandatory for you to go to court. Some of you may have been subpoenaed to uh, um, jury duty. You can only run from them so long. Just get it out of the way. But, but summoned, subpoenaed, we are actually subpoenaed to sing to God as our king. When we think of like commands in the scriptures, we may think of the Ten Commandments, which thou shalt not steal, commit adultery, covet, uh, our neighbor's oxen or whatever, and we think of those things. In the New Testament, we think of putting off drunkenness, putting off immorality, putting on 
humility and all these commands. But how many of you have ever thought of singing as a command? That is actually a court subpoena right there. That's how important it is. And, and what I love about this is that when I look at that and I say, man, I may look at that as a command, but there's plenty of motivation there. There's plenty of motivation for us to answer that summons to sing to the Lord. And that's seen in verse 3. There's three things you should take note of. Why, why should we sing to the Lord? Well, number one, because of who he is. We praise God for who he is. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. And if you've read the Old Testament, you'll think, man, that phrase sounds awful familiar. And the reason it sounds familiar is because in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah had the showdown with the false prophets of Baal, that there they are, you know, in their idolatry, Elijah shows up and they put a sacrifice out and fire comes down from heaven. God proves himself that day that he is God, right? And, and then when it came to Baal and the sacrifice there, all you heard was crickets. No fire from heaven, no nothing. And the ridicule was, you know, is your God dumb? Is your God blind? You know, what, you know where's his hands? You can't work for it. All that type of stuff because that was a false God. But on that day, they're vacillating, quit for the moment. And that's why we read in 1 Kings 18, 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We should sing to the Lord for who God is. He's God. He's God. Secondly, though, we should praise God for what he's done. Look what it says there. It is he who made us. Do you realize that without God, we don't have anything? That without the Lord, you have nothing? Even, even when it comes to your work and everything else, it says in Deuteronomy 8 that it is God who gives us the power to make wealth. And we need to understand that. That, that man, we didn't make ourselves. God made us, and we should praise him for what he made. Not only that, third, we praise God for who we are to him. For not only God making us, but what he made us to him. Look what it says. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And if you understood what the Middle East does with shepherding and sheep, it would be very different than what you see here. In the Middle East, it isn't like driving the sheep, like sometimes you come on LaBrucery and you see them driving sheep and they're driving them to another field and stuff like that. No, the shepherds in the Middle East, if you've been to Israel with us, you know this to be true, that there's a love and a care and a concern for the sheep that doesn't exist here in America. We raise them for product primarily, but the shepherd is very intimate with his sheep. And that's why Jesus using the analogy in John 10, my sheep know my voice. So look at that. Even though that we're summoned to sing to the Lord, there's plenty of reason right there in verse 3 that we should be singing praises to the Lord. In Psalm 149, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. This is the assembly of the godly. I know some of you thinking, man, you haven't seen my husband lately or you haven't seen my wife lately. No, if you've come to faith in Christ, then know this. You are a saint 
the New Testament says. You are literally a saint because of your faith in Jesus. So it's like St. Walter, St. Griselle, St. Sean, St. Victory, Victoria, St. <laughs> Chris, St. Sarah, St. Rudy. You know, you're a saint. If your name's Bernard, then you're a St. Bernard. <laughs> no, if that's your name, that was not intended for any... Things just pop into my mind sometimes. And unfortunately, bullets, you know, words are bullets fired. You can't pull them back. And so look at that, though. We're in the assembly of the godly. We are in the assembly of the godly. And that, that verse in Psalm 49, 1, that's an imperative in the, the, the Hebrew too. That's a command there in the Hebrew too. See, God's people, or God, I should say, knew what his people needed. It, they needed to be instructed at times. They needed to be directed at times. They needed to be pushed at times to fulfill the things that God sets down in place. And yeah, living out in the world, immorality, things like that, that's no-brainers. But we need to see that when we come into the presence of God, there's plenty of reason that you and I are supposed to be singing. Now, I want to move to singing in the palace of God, and I'm going to explain that in just a moment, but in verse 4, we move from the presence of God to now a specific location. I want you to see under the direction of the Holy Spirit what's happening here. It's not just in the presence of God that we sing to the King, but now he's moving to a point where we're in a specific location, and what we need to realize, because of this location he's moving to, we need to um, singing, we need to reflect the majesty of God. We need to reflect the majesty of God. So when we come in and we sing as a congregation, we need to reflect his majesty. It's just like, say, if um, you were in England, right? I, I know that I watched part of Prince Philip's um, uh, you know, funeral service, and the commentators kept referring to Queen Elizabeth as her majesty, as her majesty. And when you went into the presence of the, of the queen, you would address her, your majesty. You did that with kings. You did that with kings in that day, your majesty, your majesty. I want you to see how the scene shifts now. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. See those two words, gates and courts? Gates and courts was speaking of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, like some of you that have gone to Israel with us and we've sit on the southern steps, right? When we sit on the southern steps, which were the steps in Jesus' day, um, and then they're at the top of those steps, we'll usually do a teaching or we'll, we'll, um, uh, we do a teaching there, but then we get a group picture. Our group picture's in uh, Israel, that's one of the groups we take, one of the group shots. And so you see what's called the hold the gates. They're not there anymore. They're bricked up. But you see the outline of the hold the gates that existed at the time of Jesus. And Jesus would have went up those steps and into those gates, into those gates. And he would have walked in right through there. Now, Herod's temple, Herod's temple was different than what it's speaking of here, of Solomon's temple in Psalm 100, but it's still the same components. You had, you had gates and you had courts, right? And so you, and you walk up into those gates, and then you would enter the courts in there. And I want you to see something, because when we look at 
um, the temple, the Jews would have absolutely seen that not only as a temple, but as a palace where their king resided. Because that's where the dwelling place of God was in their day. You brought your sacrifices. You came in. Um, you, three times a year you were summoned to go there. And you were summoned to worship there. And so they saw that as the place where God's presence dwelt. Because the Ark of the Covenant was there. Which symbolized the presence of God. Even though God is everywhere. That's where they would go to meet him on special occasions. And so Jerusalem was seen as the city of God. In, in Psalm, 1, or Psalm 47, verses 6, and 6 to 7, it says, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. So we see that he's referred to as the king there. Now Psalm 48, 2 Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion. In the far north, the city of the great king. It's speaking of Jerusalem being God's city. And what I want you to see here is that just as sure as David and Solomon, that's where they reigned from. They had their palaces, but God as king also had his palace. Now listen to Psalm 68, verse 24. It says, your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my king, into the sanctuary. I hope that hits you like it hit me. Because all I have envisioned is all of God's people coming up into those gates Streaming, funneling into those gates, into the courts, into the sanctuary to praise God as king. That's what should be in our minds when we gather on Sunday mornings. We should, we should see people as they're parking, as they're streaming into the services, that they're coming in to praise God as king. That Jesus, in fact, is said to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So where verses 1 to 3 speak of our intimacy with the Lord, verses 4 speaks of the majesty of the Lord. Our singing should reflect an attitude of gratitude. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then at the end of that, verse it says give thanks to him bless his name our God is the great king who cares for his people and rules with absolute justice and righteousness a caring king would put the welfare of the people first there was no king who ever lived like Jesus because he went to the extreme of laying his life down for his people not just laying his life down but laying his life down for the sins of his people bearing the wrath of God and that's why I love the song, Amazing Love. Amazing Love, how can it be? You, my king, would die for me. We sing those things because we believe them. Those songs come from the hearts of what we believe, that you, my king, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. So we should be reflecting our singing an attitude of gratitude, but not only that, our singing should reflect an attitude of adoration. Look what it says there, enter his courts with praise. That word praise, 
has the understanding of adoration. It isn't just lifting up singing to God, but there's an, a meaning attached to that that refers to an adoration. We're, we're not just singing with our voices. We're singing with our hearts. Psalm 96, 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Do you have that adoration for the Lord when you sing to the Lord on Sunday mornings when we sing a song? Or, ah, you know the song's so familiar. Well, I got news for you. The songs were so familiar with the Jews, too. They memorized these psalms, and they were familiar to them, too. But familiarity should never get in the way of our adoration to God. Otherwise, it becomes lip service and not from our hearts, right? Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977